Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a series studying the book of Jonah to help us fight the pull of apathy that keeps us from joining Jesus in his mission in the world. Thanks for being with us. Hey, one of the things, uh, Steve said this last week, but from ancient times, when people listened to the word of God, they stood as a sign of respect. And so we want to practice that today as, uh, again, Vanessa Tyler is going to read Jonah chapter 2. So let's listen to the word of God. And when she finishes, um, she's going to say, this is the word of God, um, you know, and we're going to say, thanks be to God. Okay. All right. Jonah chapter 2. From inside the fist, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me from deep in the realm of the dead. I called for help and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled around me, and your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your temple. The engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountain I sank down, the earth beneath barred me in forever, but you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remember you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Jonah chapter 2. And again, uh, I know if you're using a black Bible uh, there in your seat rack, it's on page 754. This one is pretty easy to play Bible ping pong with because it's just one little page in your Bible, but it's near the end of the Old Testament after the book of Obadiah. And uh, we're looking at this book uh, for the next few weeks. Steve kicked it off last week. And the whole reason that we're doing this is because we want to fight the pull of apathy. Uh, Steve helped us understand last week that Jonah uh, was the apathetic prophet. Today, we're going to talk about the repentant prophet. And uh, I hope you'll see in chapter two, some of the ways that Jonah does that. Um, So let me show you something here on the screen. Uh, This is something, again, that I did a number of years ago. Um, I was challenged to just do a timeline of my life. And I went back to when I was a a boy. And and one of the things they encourage you to do is to say, if this was a really happy time or a high time in your life, you can draw a line above the line. If it was a hard time in your life, draw a line below the line. And the only thing is, is depending on how high or how low it was, you draw the line longer or shorter. So you can see that I've got some things below the line. And again, uh, I'll come back to that in a little bit. But here's my question for you is, do you have any times that you can look back on and say, I had a long line below the line? I had some seasons that I was in the depths. The reason why I ask you that is because if you're following along in the notes here, in chapter two, Jonah is literally at rock bottom. Jonah is literally at rock bottom. You may remember that he actually 
ever since he started running from God, has been taking steps down. He went down to Joppa and paid the fare. He went down below deck and went to sleep. He's been going down, 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 down. And now, because the sailors threw him overboard at the end of chapter one, he is in the seas, he's in the ocean, and he's going down. If you actually look at what Vanessa just read, you see some of these phrases. In verse two, from deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help. Verse three, you hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas. Verse five, the engulfing waters threatened me, the deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. That's quite a picture. To the roots of the mountains, I sank down. And Jonah is literally at rock bottom. He's in the depths. Interestingly, though, in verse 6, all of a sudden, we see him begin to rise. And by the end of the chapter, he is actually back on dry land. And the question is, how does he do that? If you're following along, how does he change his mind and rise in repentance and faith in God? How does he change his mind and rise? Because if we can understand that, when we go through the depths, when we find ourselves in a deep, deep period, we too know some of the ways we can respond. Um, Tim Keller uh, gave a message on Jonah 2 that's been very helpful to me. I've preached on Jonah 2 a number of times in my life, uh, but he helped me see a few things that I hadn't seen before. And so here is actually uh, something that he says on the screen. Because sometimes people go, well, I wish I had a faith like that. I wish I had a faith that could help me rise when I'm in the depths. Well, listen to what Tim Keller says. He says, do you think faith is like an athletic gift or a musical talent? Do you look at faith the way you look at a man who can sing wonderfully? I wish I could sing like him, but I can't. Or a woman who, can't, who can run. I wish I could run as fast as she does, but I can't. Do you think it's like that? You're wrong. Faith is not a talent. Faith is being controlled by the promises of God instead of your own impressions. So whatever you and I might be going through today, maybe our lines are all up above the line, but live a little longer and you're going to have some times where you're going to go through lines below the line. And when you find yourself in the depths, I hope that you'll remember some of the things that were learned from Jonah today. So here's the question. How do we, how do we, what, what can we do when we find ourselves trapped in apathy or when we find ourselves in the depths? There's three things we can do like Jonah did. And uh, they're the subheadings there on your notes. So if you're looking at the one, two, three, I'm giving you the answers a little earlier today. So here they are. I think we can put that up on the screen. The first is you can call. The second, remember, and the third, cooperate. If you want to go from the depths, if you want to rise like Jonah did and experience that, then call, remember, cooperate. Would you pray with me? Now, Lord, help us unpack this text. Thank you for the way you worked in Jonah's life, and I pray that you might fill people today, myself included, with your hope. Show us how to put our hope in you. Show us how to repent, which just simply means to change our mind so that we change direction. And I pray that we would go from 
going down in apathy to going up in repentance and faith. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so uh, I'm going to read verses 1 through 3 uh, as we think about how Jonah called. He says, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. Would you mind reading that uh, in the gray box, that same verse that I just read? Would you mind reading it out loud so we can just let God's word soak in? Let's read it together. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. Notice he calls. If you're following along in the notes, Jonah finally calls and cries to the Lord for help. Jonah finally calls and cries to the Lord for help. What do I mean? You remember chapter one, if you were here last week? He didn't cry in that chapter. He didn't call out to God. And even the pagan captain and sailors called out at first to their own gods. But by the chapter time it finished, they were calling out to the Lord God, but not Jonah. Jonah wouldn't call. I have a friend from college who a number of years ago, we kind of got reconnected and I didn't know it, but... After college, uh, even though he's a follower of Jesus, uh, he became an alcoholic. It took him years to admit that he had a problem abusing alcohol. Eventually, he got involved not only with AA, but also some men in his church where he could be real. And he said, you know, in AA, we have a saying that everyone has to hit bottom. But everyone's bottom is different. And he said, it's like an elevator going down. He said, at any time, you can push the button and get off. But he says, most people will put it off. They just keep going down, down until they have to hit bottom, the real bottom. And that's when they finally realize they need help. Sometimes he says, they say they want help, but they're just talking. They don't really get to their bottom until they finally are able to admit and be willing to make changes. And I realized that that's, you know, why, why, why is it so hard for us to call? Why don't we cry out to God sooner? You know, years ago, I shared something that a friend had taught me. It wasn't original to me, but some of you have told me that it was helpful. So it's this saying, some of you are going to recognize it, but maybe this is the first time you've seen it. Sin or apathy will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. But sometimes it's hard to push that button and get off the elevator. Sometimes we just put off calling, but Jonah did not. He finally calls and cries out to the Lord. Have you ever thought about this? Uh, Because I'm a grandfather now, and because sometimes our grandkids come and stay with us, um, and they're still, you know, between three and 11 years old, Sometimes when our three or five-year-olds in the other room and they start to call out for their mother, I just noticed that she immediately moves towards that cry, that call. And in a similar way, Jonah is saying God has that same heart when he hears you call, when he hears me call. Do you realize that God is waiting for you to use your own voice? And so 
What would it look like? Now, notice what Jonah says. Notice he said this in the verses we just read. If you're following along, the Lord listens and answers Jonah's cry. The Lord listens and answers Jonah's cry. I love how David says in Psalm 34, this poor man called and the Lord answered him and saved him out of all of his troubles. This poor man. He realized, man, I was in the depths, but I remembered that I had an option. I could call and the Lord heard my cry. He answered and helped me with my troubles. And so as you're thinking about this, what I want us to see is that the very first thing Jonah does, he says, is to call. That's how he begins to start rising. And calling on the Lord, if you're following along, is the first move to him. And I would add, it's the first move back to him. Some of you might say, you know, it's been several chapters since I've called on the Lord. It's been a while. I've been putting it off. Some of you would say, I've never called on the Lord. You realize you could do that today. You realize that's within your power to call on the Lord. One of my favorite verses when I think about being in times of trouble or the depths is Psalm 50, verse 15. It says this, would you read it with me? Call on me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you will honor me. I love that. He says, call on me. Call on me. I know you may be ashamed. I know you may be afraid that I may not answer you, but give me a chance. Call on me and I will deliver you. I may not do it exactly the way you want me to do it, but I will help you. I will deliver you. And then you'll be able to honor me. You'll be able to praise me for what I've done in your life. Give me a chance. And um, Romans 10, 12, 13 is another passage. It says, for there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is the Lord of all and richly blesses. Did you see that phrase? And richly blesses all who call on him for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Isn't that wonderful news? He richly blesses all who call on him. And you and I can call on the name of the Lord. You realize that's the way we start in a relationship with God, but it's also one of the things we do once we've started a relationship with God. I found myself this morning just calling on God. Um, Sometimes it's just simple language like, Lord, help me, help me. I just, I woke up this morning just feeling a little uncertain, a little insecure. And so I just found myself saying, Lord, help me. I know you'll help me, but I I just need to say it with my own mouth. Sometimes it's Lord, save me. I have really messed things up. So before we leave here, can I just ask you to try those two lines with me? So you can always say, I've practiced. So if I really need to do it, I can do it with my own voice, even when I'm miles from a church building. Do you mind saying that? So let's try, Lord, help me. And then let's say, Lord, save me, okay? Lord, help me. Lord, save me. God wants us to call on him. That's the first thing Jonah does. The second thing he does is remember. So let me read verses four through seven. And we get to verse seven. I'll have you read it out loud with me on that second gray box. I said, I have been banished from your sight. In other words, I thought I was, you wanted nothing else to do with me. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed is wrapped, was wrapped around my head. 
To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. Now would you read verse 7 with me out loud? When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Now, if you're following along, notice that Jonah remembers and looks to the Lord and his temple. Jonah remembers and looks to the Lord and his temple. This is kind of an interesting idea that he not only says, I look to the Lord, I remember the Lord, but I also remember his temple. What in the world does that mean? Well, let me just give you a little background. In 2 Chronicles 6, Solomon is dedicating the temple. And as he's dedicating it, he says, Lord, may your eyes always be on this place. I mean, I know this is the place of your presence, but may your eyes always be on this place. And then he gives some examples of what might happen in the future. And one of them is, if your people find themselves in a foreign land, and they have disobeyed you. Remind them that they can look toward your temple where you, your presence dwells. And if they will look toward your temple and cry out to you, forgive their sin, heal the relationship with them. And when Solomon finished praying in Second Chronicles 7, God said, I'll answer that prayer. And so I think Jonah remembered, hey, I'm far away from Jerusalem right now. In fact, I'm uh, in a desperately difficult place. But I will, with my heart and mind, look towards the temple because the temple, if you're following along, is a visual aid of God's law and grace. The temple is a visual aid of God's law and grace. In fact, it's a visual aid of the gospel. And some of you know that the gospel means good news. It shows us that God has always had a heart to draw near to his people. Steve taught taught us last week that he has a relentless desire to pursue us and to heal our relationship with him and to be close to us. So he provided a temple so people could draw near. But in the temple was the Holy of Holies. And inside the Holy of Holies was something that we know even about because of movies, even if we've never gone to church. And that's the Ark of the Covenant. Now, again, I don't know if you've seen pictures of the Ark of the Covenant. The first time I ever saw the actual dimensions, I thought it was this great big thing. It's actually much smaller. But notice, here's a picture of that. And again, the seraphim, the wings are over the cover there. But underneath the cover was to be placed the Ten Commandments, the law of God. The law of God was God's standard, God's model for how we were to relate to him and other people. And it was, it was a, de- a demonstration of us being created in his image for relationship, that there, there are ways that we relate to God and relate to other people properly and ways that we should not. And so the law was there. And so the bad news is, is that because the law was there and because God said, I will come near to you only over the law, You must obey the law because if you don't obey the law, then we can't have a relationship. You don't just break the commandments, you break our relationship. And so that's one of those things that immediately when we hear that, that is bad news. Because if any of us are completely honest, we know 
we know that we have not kept the law of God. We have not kept it perfectly. We haven't even kept it close sometimes. We may aspire to. We may say, I just, I just keep the Ten Commandments. But I, I don't know about you, but I cannot even get past the first one that says, you shall have no other gods before me. And so when you think about that, that's one of those things. And so people went, what do we do? Tim Keller, again, helped me with an illustration that I wanted to share with you. He says this, God says, I live in the Holy of Holies. And if you want to talk to me, I will talk to you over the ark. I will only relate to you over the law. God says this all through the Bible, but it's pictorially shown right here in the temple. If you want to relate to me, we can only do so if you live in accord with the law. Now, that's a hard thing for us to swallow. And yet everywhere, naturally, we see it. Let me give you an example. A conductor comes before his symphony. All the instrumentalists have the score. The conductor begins to conduct. They begin to play. Unfortunately, there's one instrumentalist who, though everyone else is playing the Eroica, is playing way down upon the Swanee River. What is the relationship between the conductor and the instrumentalist? The conductor has to come and say, unless you obey the score, we cannot have any kind of working relationship. If the instrumentalist says, well, how rigid of you? What makes you say I have to follow this score and obey this score exactly? I'm an artist. You know, I need to express what I have here in my heart. The conductor would have to say, I'm sorry. This is the nature of music. Unless we all obey the score, there will be no beauty. There will be nothing but ugliness. Now, this means the conductor and the musician or the instrumentalist must meet over the score. If they don't, they have no fellowship. The fellowship is broken. The working relationship is gone. There is no beauty that is going to be created there. Now, the Bible is simply saying the same thing. God says, if you're going to have a relationship with me, you must be fulfilling the law. I'm holy. You must be holy. That's the only way the beauty can come out. There's a sense in which the conductor would have to call the instrumentalist to repentance. Do you know what repentance is? The repentance is not that the musician is being a musician, but that the musician has to repent of wanting to be the conductor. The musician has to see that he or she is an instrumentalist. And until he or she recognizes that, repents and submits to the score, there can be no beauty. That is the nature of music. And so when you and I think about that, we understand why God has given us clear instructions in his law. But if we're honest, we realize this is incredibly bad news because none of us have played the score the way it needed to be played. Therefore, what do we do? But the Lord provided good news in this same ark. Over the cover was this golden slab. And on that golden slab, he provided for there to be atonement or what was called the mercy seat. And once the blood of an innocent third party was applied to that, then all of a sudden now the law was fulfilled and the law was paid for. And now God could meet us. And friends, here's the good news. That was a foreshadowing of someone who would come named Jesus, who has become our mercy seat or in technical language, our propitiation. He was the one who gave a sacrifice so that the wrath and justice of God could be atoned for. 
And I don't know about you, friends. This makes me really glad because Jonah could look to the temple. Jesus said, tear this temple down, and in three days, I will build it up again. What was he saying? I'm the temple. I'm the mercy seat. This is why when you call, I will answer you. This is why I want to have a relationship with you. And if you'll remember that, then when you're in the depths and you wonder if God has completely written you off, if you wonder if you've gone too far from God, remember the mercy seat. Remember Jesus. Remember the cross. Because what God did there is that he made the law fulfilled in you and I. He took it into himself. And I don't know about you, but that's who I want to look to. I want to look to Jesus and what he did for me on the cross. And if you're following along, notice this, that remembering means thinking and talking to your heart. Remember, remembering means thinking and talking to your heart. Okay. One more color quote. Okay. And again, this was, I thought really helpful. So here it is. Faith is talking to your heart, telling it the truth. Doubt is listening to your heart and listening to everything it says. You can talk to your heart or else you can listen to it. It's your choice. And I found this to be absolutely true. So Thursday night, I had an opportunity to be with some of the men in this church. Maybe some of you men were there at the cookout outside. And I talked about a a similar subject that night with them about how when David, uh, his men were talking about stoning him, this incredible verse in uh, 1 Samuel 30, verse 6, and David strengthened himself in God. And I had the guys discuss, how do, how do you do that? How do you strengthen yourself in God? Because in June, I talked about how Jonathan went out to David when he was running from Saul and helped him find strength in God. So we need friends to help us find strength in God, but we also need to learn how do we strengthen ourselves in God when Jonathan isn't around? How do we do both? And so we talked about that. And so, uh, again, if you turn your notes over on the back there, I've listed some verses that talk about remembering. And uh, would you mind reading that very first one in Psalm 77, verse 11 and 12 with me out loud? I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on all your mighty deeds. Now, the word remember, think about this. This is mental activity. It's conscious, intentional thinking. Some people think faith is blind. Faith is thinking and it's learning to talk to ourselves. So I was trying to figure out how I could explain this better with the guys the other night. And I explained it to them and some of them said it was helpful. When I used to go out and spend time with Pastor Jack Hayford in California, he told a story one time that I've I've remembered ever since. His son was in wrestling in high school. And so he said, here I am a pastor. I don't, I'm not making a lot of money, but uh, my son comes home one day and he says, the coach says that I need to eat more T-bone steaks because I need protein. He went, oh, great. And he said, you know, because, you know, somehow uh, that protein will build muscle, right? And so he says, but imagine my son going to his first wrestling match with a T-bone steak in each hand and coming towards his opponent and going, I'm ready for you. He said, that'd be crazy business. He said, what the coach meant was, I want you to go home, cook that steak, chew it, and let it become part of you. And if you don't let it become part of you, you'll never benefit from it. And so in a similar way, when I was in college, 
one of those down lines, one of the longer down lines in my life is that I went through a period of depression. I lost my voice for six weeks. Now, you may say, okay, you lost your voice for six weeks. For a Nelson, that is a tragedy. (laughs) For the rest of the world, that is a victory. The point is, is that during that time, I had no feeling of God. It was like the lights went out. This relationship that I treasured with God so much suddenly seemed non-existent. It didn't matter if I prayed. It didn't matter if I sang. It didn't matter if I read my Bible. I felt numb. I felt nothing. And I was totally, totally upside down. And I remembered, I got a decision to make. What am I going to do? And I realized I had to really think through what I really believed. And I had to think through, if I can't feel God, is he still true? Is he still real? And so what I began to do is I began to write down different scriptures. I bought a hymn book and I began to memorize the first verse of as many hymns as I could. And I got to tell you, it was mechanical. There were so many days I thought, I got to keep filling my heart and mind with the truth. I don't know when I'm going to ever feel God again, but I've got to decide, do I really believe this? I came across Psalm 42, where I saw the writer of Psalm 42. He talks to himself. Why are you so cast down? Why are you cast down on my soul? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. And I remember thinking to myself, I feel cast down. I feel like a sheep on its back, but I can hope in God because there's coming a day. I'm going to praise him again. And I also came across Lamentations 3. Do you see it there? This one really helped me. This one really helped me. And I can tell you what it was. He basically, this is Jeremiah saying, I know there's coming a time when, is, when Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. That's part of my job as a prophet is to announce that terrible news. And so he says, my soul is filled with bitterness and gall. This is not a fun message to take in. This is not a reality that I'm looking forward to. But then he turns and he says this, but this I call to mind. You see this conscious, intentional thinking, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. There are some things that are still true. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new. Thank God every morning. Here it is. Great is your faithfulness. Can I get an amen? If God wasn't faithful, friends, I wouldn't be standing here. I'm not standing here because I'm so faithful. I'm standing here and maybe you're sitting here together worshiping God today because God's been faithful to us and we need to remember that. And so he did. He remembered. He remembered that God had made provision to have a relationship with him, even when he became apathetic or rebellious or stubborn, that he had options he could call, he could remember, and finally, he could cooperate. So do you notice, I'll read verses 8 through 10, and let's see of what God teaches us here in verses 8 through 10 of Jonah. <clears throat> Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you In fact, I should, um, uh, would you mind if I ask you to read verse nine with me? Sorry about that. Let's uh, read it together. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you 
What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And then verse 10, and the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah on dry land. Notice this, if you're following along with gratitude, Jonah submits and says, I will to God. With gratitude, Jonah submits and says, I will to God. I noticed that he said, I will three or four times. I will sacrifice to you. I will make good on what I have vowed. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. I will, I will, I will. The word cooperate means to comply with, to agree with, to work together with, to give ourselves fully to the Lord. Now, Jonah had come through a process where he had gone from apathy, not caring. He'd gone from rebellion and stubbornness. And as he began to call, as he began to remember, God put him into a place where he realized he had so much to thank God for that now it moved from a have to, to a want to, to a get to. And as he began to sing that praise and thanksgiving to God for the salvation that God was giving him, he was ready to go the next step. I want to be careful here and say in the next two chapters, we're going to find out Jonah never gets it completely right. So there's a lot of grace right there. Anybody say amen to that? But here's what I want you to notice. He got these things right. And as he did, he went from the depths to rising. Again, if you're following along with gratitude, Jonah submits and says, I will to God. And when we look at that, as some people say, you know, when he got spit back out on the dry land, how did he look after being in a fish three days? Well, I think he was wrinkled. I think he was bleached. I think he was humbled. But I think he was ready to take the next step with God. Sometimes God takes us through tight places, dark places, deep places. But God never wastes time. And he never wastes experience. If we'll call and if we'll remember and if we'll cooperate. And so if you're following along back on dry land, Jonah has a fresh sense of God's salvation. Back on dry land, Jonah has a fresh sense of God's salvation. God's humbled him, and now his spiritual nerve endings are more tender and more responsive to God. He's more alive to the goodness of God and all that God has done for him, even though he was rebellious and stubborn and apathetic. And so as he comes to this place, we wonder what's going to happen in chapter 3 and chapter 4. But what I want us to notice is that years ago, I, I, I read the, the NIV back before it uh, was the newest revision. And here's what it says in, in earlier uh, translation of Jonah uh, 2 verse 8. I love this. It says, those who cling, can you picture clinging? Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. They forfeit it. In other words, God's extending it. But if you decide to stay on that elevator, if you decide to cling to your own way, if you decide to say, I'm, I'm still going to work out the way I think my life should be instead of what God wants me to do, you forfeit the grace that could be yours. There's grace. God wants to save us, not just the first time, but I need him to keep saving me again and again and again. There's at least five tenses to salvation. I am saved. I have been saved. I was saved. I'm being saved. I will be saved. Praise God. 
a fresh view of salvation. And some of us today, we're, we're worshiping with fresh gratitude because he's done that. I read a story this week about a man named George Wilson, who back in 1830 was convicted of robbing the U.S. mail and was sentenced to be hanged. President Andrew Jackson issued a pardon for Wilson, but for some reason, Wilson refused to accept the pardon. There was some confusion as to what should happen to him. Should he be hanged as planned, or did the pardon mean that he was free to go, even if he refused to accept it? The matter went to Chief Justice Marshall, who concluded that Wilson would have to be executed. A pardon is a slip of paper, wrote Marshall, the value of which is determined by acceptance of the person to be pardoned. If it is refused, it is no pardon. George Wilson must be hanged. The offer of life was extended, but he refused to accept it. Friends, this morning, God is holding out to you a way to rise in repentance and faith with him through whatever you walk through. You can call, you can remember, and you can cooperate with him out of gratitude in your heart, or you can cling. And you can say, I'm not doing it in this chapter. I'm not going to do it. I just want to remind you, there were three crosses outside our church building. The one in the middle was the one to look to. But there were two different thieves that day. Both came out cursing him in the morning. But sometime as the day went on, the one thief remembered and called to Jesus and said, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. And Jesus looked to him and said, I tell you the truth today, you will be with me in paradise. He called, he remembered, he cooperated. And you and I can too. So as you think about this last line in the notes, the question is, will I cling to my own way and forfeit his grace for me? Will I cling to my own way and forfeit his grace for me? Or will I humbly call? Will I remember? And will I cooperate with him? I wonder what he's saying to you. And so, um, one of the things that I thought might be a good way for us to prepare for communion is to remember what the Lord has done for us. And so as you're singing this song, I would just ask, what does God want you to think about right now? And this song, we haven't sung for a while. We sang it years ago, but I asked Chuck and he said, let's, let's do it. I think you'll catch on to it fairly quickly. But the words are, I will remember. And I, long after you're, out of this room, miles from this church building. Oh, friends, how God wants to help you. How God wants to work in your life. And I hope you remember that you can call and you can remember and you can cooperate. Let's sing this song. Thank you for listening to this week's teaching. If you'd like more info on our church, you can visit our website or find us on Facebook.